Today on the Whatsoever Things Show, we have a special guest interview with our very own Men's Ministries Director, Gator Fort. Gator shares his testimony, where he got the nickname Gator, and about how he died twice at the age of 49. And this is only part one. It's another great show, so hang on. Here we go. Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Whatsoever Things Show, a podcast designed to stimulate your mind, tickle your funny bone, and encourage your faith. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is the Whatsoever Things Show, recorded on April 19th, 2021. I'm not going anywhere. This is part one of our interview with Gator. Part two will be released as a special bonus episode next Thursday. So make sure you're subscribed. And now, on with the show. On today's show, we have Mr. Gator Fort, leader of the Honor Bound Men's Ministry here at Oxford Assembly of God. Welcome, Gator. Thanks for having me here tonight. Right. <laughs> so just quick background. Uh, we highlight we, we discussed in our missions episode that uh, men's, the men's ministry, and here uh, the men in this group reach out many different direction in the community. Some men help with maintenance areas for our widows and disabled, others who go out in times of disaster. Um, the, the Honor Bound Men's Ministry provides extra manpower around the church grounds when needed. Uh, the, the main missions of the Honor Bound Men's Ministry is Light for the Lost. And uh, you meet on the second Saturday of the month for breakfast in the Fellowship Hall. And are always in need of a few, but many good men. This is interrogation. Do you deny it? <laughs> it's, no, uh, I don't deny it. This is all allegedly. Your meeting on the second Saturday of the month is breakfast with lots of bacon, eggs, pancake, yes, mm-hmm. devotional. And I, I'm not sure who's making that bacon, but boy, they do a daggum good job. I just want to yeah, say you that. Yeah, do do, you do do a good job. <laughs> oh, now, we don't. We like to do the second Saturday of every month just to, it doesn't ever matter what the date is. It's always the second Saturday because we're men. And the second Saturday is easier to remember. (laughs) So that's the way we keep it like that. We try to keep it simple. And uh, we do two things there. Uh, Well, actually, we do more than that. The guys in the kitchen, there's five of us or six of us. And we come in there and we have a good time. And we fellowship with one another and cut the fool a little bit. That's that's what it's all about. It's what it is. It's a camaraderie that just... uh, being with your brothers, man, mm-hmm. you know, and if uh, we've had times in there when uh, we've had to stop and pray for somebody, you know, because they were having, you know, something going on and not feeling good, or uh, I forget, one of the guys walked in with a backache. It was Mark, Mark Brown, and he came in there and uh, he was trying to help us, and uh, he was just literally hurting, you know, and uh, I could see it in his face, and I asked, that's Mark, what's going on? And he says, my back is just killing me. So I just said, well, you know what? We need to pray for it right now. So we all stopped, anointed him with oil and prayed for him. And about 10 minutes later, he says, I ain't hurting anymore. <laughs> awesome. And I said, that's the God that we serve. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, God's yes. faithful. God is good. And this men's group is, uh, it means a lot to me. Um, I like these, like Thomas. I got Thomas. Thomas is one of our younger men that comes in there and, you know, he helps me with cooking to the bacon and stuff. And he comes to my Thursday night Bible study. And Josh, Josh comes to the Thursday night Bible study. And God is over the years, I started this uh, discipleship uh, Bible study slash thing with actually was co-ed. 
because the church I used to go to, uh, people come in from off the street that don't know anything about God. And you bring them in and they hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit moves upon them and they get saved and they give their life to Christ. What do you do with them? Right. Discipleship. You got to disciple them up. You, somebody has to disciple them up. And if somebody doesn't step up to the plate you lose and take those folks and pay attention to them and love on them and teach them, you know, they're lost. It mm. won't be but just a few weeks and they're gone back out to what mm. they were doing before. I've watched it many, many times. Even with the discipleship program, they still go back out mm. to the world. So it's a very hard fight. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I appreciate this down here with the guys. Mm. Um, I, I really love these guys. Mm. I, I'm from the bottom of my heart, I love these guys. Uh, each and every one of them. And so you not only lead the men's ministry via the, the second Saturday of the month, but you also have a Thursday night discipleship Bible study with men. Well, I like to call it discipleship now. <laughs> well. <laughs> um, yes, I have. Uh, we've got uh, nine men mm -hmm. come into my house every Thursday night. My wife and I cook them a full meal. We sit around and have fun at the table and, and then... Uh, get everything picked up and we go have a Bible study for about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. wow. So, and then, uh, after that we have some dessert, mm -hmm. you know, but the whole time, you know, we're fellowshipping and, and I'm doing my best to teach them. <laughs> <laughs> it, we're usually doing our best to derailing, but you know, we, we come for the food because oh God, that food's good. <laughs> but after doing this, I've done it, uh, 11 years mm -hmm. in my house every Thursday night. And we only miss Thanksgiving and maybe Christmas. Other than that, mm -hmm. it's every Thursday night. So it's continuous. And uh, I tell these guys, when you come to the class, I'll only ask one thing of you, to be devoted. Mm -hmm. Because me and my wife cook. You know, I'm not going to get in my freezer and pull out a whole bunch of food and cook it all up and not have anybody show up. And they cook. Yeah, yeah we do. Yeah, yeah. And Just, we, we do that special for y'all. It ain't like a box of pizza on the table. It's, That's right. It's, it's, it's ribs or, I mean, some serious Deer chili. chili. My wife my wife likes to pick the bone with you about the chili. Oh, man. <laughs> the aromas at the house when I get home yeah. is not good. But, <laughs> no. but that chili's good. But it's, it's something that we do to show our love for these guys. And the old saying, you know, feed them and they'll come. So the better the food is, the more they come. Sometimes I can't get rid of them. But <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Gator, I've I've had the um, the good privilege of being on a couple of new number of uh, Omega missions trips and heard you preach in Cuba and in Lithuania, um, in Montana, and uh, so you you you're spread throughout this church you you kick off your sunday school class how do you do that tell us about that uh kick off the sunday school class with a shofar i open up the we open in uh, prayer sister Jeannie opens up sometimes she asks me to open for her in prayer uh, sometimes i do uh, sometimes she does it herself or ask somebody else to but we always have the shofar and everybody says well why the shofar well, i said well the shofar has very many different meanings to it and if you look back in the bible number one it's called to worship you know, back they didn't. Back in the old days, they didn't. You know, have a bell or anything. Mm -hmm. So the priest would go out onto the balcony of the church and he blow it, let everybody know, hey, it's time to come to church. You know, and it's also to usher in the presence of God. Um, it just it just gets the spirit uh, invited in. Mm -hmm. And also, if you look back in the Bible, you will see that uh, when the Israelites fought battles, guess who was in the front lines? The shofar blowers. Because whenever they blew the shofar, it would in, it would in, instill fear 
into the enemy's very soul because mm -hmm. they knew the children of God was coming. Awesome. And uh, the children of God had the reputation. If the children of God coming, you're going to yeah. lose. Yeah. You know, sometimes they just turn and run. But it was always the chauffeur's job to do that to them. It gives me chills mm -hmm. every time I blow the chauffeur. You know, awesome. it, it excites me deep yeah. down inside. Um, the folks in the Sunday school class, they love the shofar because we're ushering in the presence of God. And one, um, that's awesome. One last thing that you're known for is you're, you're like the church cook. Yeah. And, and not only talking about that breakfast, but whenever we have the, the banquet for the helpers, you're, you're out there grilling all the steaks. When 200, we do... 225, not this year, but past year, me and uh, Brother Tim cooked 225 steaks. Wow. And then uh, for the Omega yeah, Missions food fundraiser, yep. the chicken perlo, you're there. Yep. You've got me trained on the beans and the <laughs> making the green beans. So that's awesome. Yep. Now, did you taste test all 225 steaks? <laughs> that's that's no, but fun. we'd cut out one about every now and then. <laughs> actually, actually, when um, the pastor buys that, he buys the whole sirloin, and they hand cut them, mm -hmm. and then they marinate them overnight. And on the end of your sirloin, there's always what they call the cook's cut. It's the tail. We call it the tail because it's not big enough to serve to anybody. So you put the tailings in a pan, and that's what the cooks eat. Hmm. So about every second round on the yeah. grill, we throw in piece, we put a piece of tailing in and make sure that the quality control <laughs> is taken care of. So. So, so what do you do in your free time, Gator? That's what I want to do. <laughs> All that time. Come down here and talk on programs like this. <laughs> So no, you never have much free time whenever you're serving the Lord. But uh, everybody's up. Well, that's a good question because people always ask me, so where do you get all that energy from? You know, well, well, most of you guys know I died twice when I was 49. I'm fixed to turn 66. And God has done nothing but bless me. So you died twice. Died twice in one day. You think you got another one in you? Uh, I got one more. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just picking. I got up. one more. This is going to be the big one. That's good. I'm coming, Elizabeth. All right, it's the big one. We need to go back to that. Let's go all the way back to right. that story. All right. Um, you guys asked me. You wanted to know a little bit about my about me. I, I want to know it all, but don't don't. Yeah. You know. Me and Thomas have a bet, by the way, on how you got that alias. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we, what's your real name, Gator? Cornelius. Cornelius. We want to know how you got the nickname, but I kind of think we should go ahead and toss out I, what we think so I, we can right. see who might be close. So I've got, if it's Bank Heist and the cops gave you the name Gator because a Gator was involved, mm -hmm. then I get some money. And mm -hmm. what was yours? Mine was, so you've heard the old saying, snitches get stitches. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm thinking back in the day. Snitches didn't get stitches. You just fed them to the gators. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking it is. You got something, Mike? You know, I was I was raised in the church. I cut my teeth on a pew. And I come from an apostolic Pentecostal background. It was very strict. I mean, you had to get you had to get saved at least three times a week. You know, every time it was always hell, fire, and brimstone. And which is nothing wrong with that, but you can't have it all the time. I'm sorry, you know. The man needs to know he's going to hell for doing certain things, but uh, you, you got to have a little bit of other substance in there for the man to grow on, you know. But um, my dad died when I was 15. And uh, whenever my dad died and I didn't have to go to church no more, I didn't go. I've been on my own since I was 16 years old. I've been a father and had a 40-hour-a-week job since I was 17. Uh, never slacked on nothing, always took care of my family, always worked hard. Uh, always tried to prove to myself that I was a man. 
and a man steps up to the plate and does what a man needs to do, not like we do nowadays. And I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that's back when a man's handshake was his bond. You know, my dad taught me, you shake a man's hand and you tell him you're going to do something, you don't do it. You're a low-life egg-sucking dog. Hmm. You know, you're not worth worth the spit, you know. Uh, so he instilled that in us in a younger age. But dad was pretty strict, too. And, you know, he used, he used to carry the belt in his back pocket. You know, he didn't have it around his waist. He had it folded up in his back pocket, you know. So he didn't have to go very far uh, to get to it. But anyway, besides that. Um, but did, I didn't, did he ever wear it around his waist? And then he finally just said, you he know, I'm tired of taking this thing off every day. Too. If he got them both going, we call him Zorro. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, he, I, it was very strict in our house uh, growing up in the church. You couldn't, couldn't listen to radio. You couldn't go to a ball game. You couldn't go to a dance. Uh, I mean, you couldn't do anything that was fun. And whenever I got out, got out from underneath of that thumb of rule, I went wild. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I've been on my own since I was 16. And uh, I did whatever I wanted, and I did it many times. And uh, when I got, I got married at 17, and my first wife's uh, family were up in Detroit. And there wasn't nothing happening around this old town, you know. You, we used to call in anything for a buck. You do anything for a buck. Work, we, we work doing this, work doing that. Doesn't matter if it paid, I, I'll do it, you know. Uh, but we moved up there because we were going to be making the big money up there. So we moved to Detroit when I was 17, and uh, I had two jobs while I was in Detroit. One, I worked for Global Van Lines, and I moved furniture for three years um, on a moving truck. And I was too young to go out of state, the insurance wouldn't cover me. So I did everything inside of the state, yeah. and uh, I hustled. And whenever drivers come in, they pay you to help unload their trucks. And I was always one first ones picked because I hustled. I worked hard, you know, and I give the driver his uh, his money's worth. I did that for a few years and uh, my wife left me. I come home one day and I didn't have uh, no furniture. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a child. I didn't have a bank account. didn't have a car. I didn't have anything. Come home at 11 o'clock at night to an empty nothing. So... Pretty much from there on, I just would, did my own thing because I didn't have my wife around and my kid around to take care of anymore. So I was pretty much open to do what I wanted to. So the opportunity to come up, I went to work in the steel mill in Detroit, um, what they call a, a hammer shop where they do drop forging. And I accelerated very successfully in that because I, I am very talented with my hands. I've got good coordination and rhythm. And that's all it's all about when you're in a hammer shop because the the machine pounds and it's got a rhythm to it on the pounding and you have to put hot steel into it and make the pieces and cut them off, put them back in the furnace, reheat them. And I'm, I'm a qualified heater. I could get a, a job any place in the United States with being a heater mm-hmm. uh, because I'm, I'm certified for that. And uh, I did that for a couple of years. Well, I got the afternoon shift. I work from 3 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night. Bars are just starting out at 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And you got all day to sleep off the hangover. You got all day to sleep it off. So that was my life for the next couple couple of years. And uh, it wasn't good. I mean, I had all the women I wanted. I had four girlfriends at one time. That's it? 
That was it. The rookie numbers. <laughs> Most of those numbers up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. They come. They come over and pick me up. I didn't even have to drive. They come. I didn't have a license. They come get me. You know, I had all the, all the drugs you wanted. Cause Detroit City, buddy, it's whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was into that life. And by the way, it was back in the early '80s where that would be disco. You know, unbutton your shirt down to your belly button, have your Mercedes Benz emblem with your gold chain hanging around your neck, with your platform shoes on, and your Gator, and your white bell bottoms. We're gonna need a picture. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's gonna be yes. the, the. Believe it or not, there's a couple at the house. Yes. Oh yes, <laughs> with my long hair. That's all right. Writing this down for Thursday. <laughs> picture. But I had that life for a while, and uh, Shreen, my wife that I've been together with now for over 42 years. Um, Live with my mom. Uh, she was kind of a black sheep of the family, just like I was. And she moved out of her house and moved in with my mother because my sister was her best friend. And she lived with my mom for 10 years. And good good thing because mama taught her all that good Southern cooking. Mm-hmm. Sure did. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you can testify. Mm-hmm. I can testify to that one. <laughs> but uh, we hooked up. Actually, we, me and her um, used to double date in high school. Her with her first husband, and me with my first wife. So we spent a lot of time together on double dates and stuff, you know, because uh, her first husband was my best friend at that time. And uh, everybody parted. You know, everybody went their different ways in life. And uh, she she wouldn't have nothing to do with me back then, but found a liking in me, <laughs> <laughs> let's just go to say, um, later on. And uh, we got together, and I moved her up to, to Detroit. I drove her 67 Chevy Impala from here all the way to wow. Detroit with all That's her stuff cool. in it. Uh, before she come up, I would uh, when I was dating her, I'd fly to Florida every weekend. Because I had a buddy that uh, had a connection with Delta Airlines. I could go round trip, uh, champagne flight from Detroit City to Orlando for 80 bucks, round trip. Wow. So I did it every weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money was good when I was up there. I was making 14.75 an hour back in 1980. Yeah. And that was That's big good. money. I had yeah. a condominium of my own. You know, I had a good life going on. And uh, Shereen moved back up with me and uh, put up with me. Let's just say put up with me and my ways. And she looked at me one day and she says, why are, why are we here? I said, I don't know. <laughs> That's where I live. <laughs> Most of the time when my wife asks me a question, the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> But uh, she says, all of our family's back in Florida, yours and mine. She says, I want to go home. I, she says, I am going home. Uh, I would like for you to come with me. <laughs> so we took our 1971 Volkswagen Beetle, loaded it up to the hilt with me and her, my oldest son, Sean, a dog, two cats, and my brother-in-law. We're going to need a picture, Gator. <laughs> I got one of that one. And we, when I was in high school... A much smaller version of myself. <laughs> I rode in the back seat of a Volkswagen Beetle. Mm-hmm. I don't see. Wow, mm-hmm. it was packed. <laughs> it was packed to the hill. Thing was, we left in the middle of the night, and it was probably one of the worst snowstorms they'd had in a while. In a Beetle. In a Beetle. And I-75, it was snowing so hard they couldn't keep it clean, and it was getting potholes, and it was just like pop, 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 you know, all the way down. <laughs> You know, it was a miserable trip. Picture in that beetle. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it. We made it back down here. And uh, and you asked me about my name. 
when I went to work in the steel mill, you had to have a uniform. And on the uniform, I, my name's Cornelius. Cornelius doesn't fit. <laughs> so I wasn't around. My nickname is Neil with my family, short for Cornelius. Well, nobody asked me. So I'm a Florida boy. So they put Gator. Oh, Since I was a Florida boy on my uniform. Oh, man. And for the next few years, I got called Gator. Dang it. I thought for sure you got to run in with the even, even when I come, when Even when I got back down here to Florida, my buddies up north thought that was the coolest thing in the world. We got us a stop in Florida now. <laughs> and they'd come down, you know, this one oh, come yeah. down one month, another one a month, and, you know, to come hang out with a gator. Hang and, out uh, with a gator. Yeah. And uh, we did all the same stuff. I was into drugs and uh, alcohol. I had to give up the women. Mm. <laughs> 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 I had to cut it down to a woman. Yes. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, we lived like that for a while. And uh, I guess I was 39 years old. And I started having problems. Um, started having uh, palpitations of the heart, where your heart would just take off and race. And the only time it did is when I smoked dope. You know, any other time I was fine. If I smoked a joint, it'd take off. So I had to quit that. And uh, when I turned 40, I, the Lord kept pulling at me. You know, I've been anointed since I was 13 years old. I knew better. And I always had that... Uh, um, saying in your mind that I've got time, I've mm -hmm. got time, you know, mm -hmm. and every t and the Holy Spirit just kept pulling at me and pulling at me, and um, I told my wife, I says I'm going to church. She says, okay. So I grew up uh, with my mom and dad uh, going to um, when they quit the Apostolic Church. They had a I had a ninety year old or a ninety pound West Virginia white haired preacher. The man that he was one of them pew one of them pew preachers. Mm. He get on top of them pews and he but you know <laughs> we better look out because he's gonna bring it. He's gonna gonna bring it and he was good at it. And I grew up under that. And we used to do home church, go to his house on Sunday night and have church. And uh, I grew up that way mostly and I left that and then the Holy Spirit just kept pulling at me and pulling at me and when I told her I said well, I'm gonna go back but mama's still going to church over there at his house when I decided to go oh. back, and that had been for many years. And I told her, I said, I'm gonna go to church, Mom. So I started going to church at, at the home church with him, and uh, and at 40 years old, I rededicated my life to the Lord. Okay. And I uh, was working on getting straightened up, and I quit my smoking my cigarettes, I quit smoking my dope, I quit drinking, and I quit swearing all at one time. Wow. And my wife almost killed me. <laughs> she would beg me will you please do something go back to the dope do something you're driving me crazy but I didn't I held fast I actually went to church for five years without her I did five years I was about 45 and it was kind of getting to drag you know go to church by yourself and everything but I still went and you know Satan never quits messing with you the temptation of the world is always there I don't care who you are or where you are. He never gives up trying to aggravate you. He never gives up trying to taunt you to get you back from where you've come from. And I fought and I fought for the next four years. And I was 49 and I just kind of fallen back a little bit. I didn't get back to smoking dope or cigarettes or anything, but I would peek at pornography a little bit, you know, just little things, you know. 
you know, look little smut magazine every now and then, you know, it don't hurt nothing. You know, my old, my old saying used to be, no matter where a man gets his appetite long as he comes home to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my <laughs> philosophy for many wow. years. Okay. And uh, at, at 49, and I was actually doing pretty good. I had a good, good job, head superintendent of a very large uh, company uh, around here, built million dollar homes for many, many years. Um, got to where I wasn't feeling right one afternoon. And I just finished one of our best models. And the very last thing I had to do was uh, take care of a fire pit that we had out by the uh, swimming pool before the parade of homes was coming the next day. And all I had to do was wrap that thing up and I was done, you know. Planks shine like a new penny. And I pushed a wheelbarrow load of gravel up and I dumped it around the fire pit and I come back down to my truck and I didn't feel right. I started feeling fuzzy headed and faint and I climbed up on the back of my truck and I sat down on the tailgate and next thing I know I was waking up on the ground. Uh, white as a sheet, no pain, not a bit of pain, but just very light headed and uh, called my boss up and I said, man, something, I don't feel right. Like I got bear caught. You know, I'm an old Florida boy. I know what bear caught is. You know, I've been drug out and put underneath the tree more than once, you know, till you get your senses back. But uh, he come over there and he said, oh, you need to go to the hospital. You need to go to the hospital. I'm all right. I'm just bear caught. You know, it's 90, 95 degrees, you know. He said, all right, get in the truck and turn on the air conditioner. So he's in there and I didn't get any better. And he kept saying, you need to go to the hospital. And I quit arguing with him. When I quit arguing, he said, you're going, yeah. you're going to the hospital. <laughs> I said, okay. So we went to the hospital. After I walked in the door, in 15 minutes, I was dead. They uh, jerked me up out of in the emergency room and started paddling me. Um, they hit me seven times with the paddles in the room just to get me back. Wow. And I come back, and they shipped me up to the uh, operating room. And then I got up there, and I remember, I remember dying. I really do. It was just like fainting. That's all it felt like. No pain of any kind. Hmm. I just fainted. Everybody says, well, did you have an out of body experience? I said, no, I didn't. I didn't see no lights. I didn't see people calling for me. You know, I didn't see no angels coming to get me, to carry me off to heaven. Or somebody else to carry me down someplace yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Is that because that wasn't working? Because that was either. Either at that time. <laughs> you know, I've learned better. I don't like that 50-50 thing anymore, you know. I like to know where I'm going, you know what I mean? I want to be on the first train ticket up there, you know? Okay, so I did, uh, I remember a little gal was on top of me with a bag, and she was bagging me while I was on the operating table. When I come back, I pushed her off of me, literally pushed her back two or three steps off of me. And everybody started hollering, he's back, he's back, he's back. And I looked up and I said, I ain't going anywhere. You know, that's exactly what I said. My wife was at the end of the bed, you know, and uh, they said, well, you know, they started working on me. They're trying to do a catheter on me. So they're trying to knock me out. I was trying to come back. They're trying to knock me out so they can stick this thing up my groin to get into my heart to open up my my blood veins. Just let me die. (laughs) So it wasn't too long after that I died again. I died. Well, he, he got the catheter in me and was working on me, and I died again. Now... That time I don't remember dying because I was already out. But I do remember coming back. And that same pretty little nurse was there and I knocked her off of me again. <laughs> so that's two times in one afternoon I slugged a nurse. Excuse me, ma'am. I am married. 
So I remember coming back, and uh, and they kept, said the same thing. As soon as I come back to consciousness, he's back, he's back. And I looked at him. I said, I'm not going anywhere. And my wife was into the bed, and I winked at her. You know, like, I ain't going anywhere. You know, I'm too dang hard-headed and mean anyway. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they got me back. And uh, I went home. I couldn't do nothing. I was out of, out of the loop for 10 weeks. I uh, got three stents put in me. Hmm. Uh, actually, I only had one stent put in me at that time, just one, because I had 100% blockage in the rear of my heart. No blood. Uh, one of my best friends was with my wife, you know, holding her hand when uh, all this is going on, and they could literally see what was going on. And whenever he put that stent in my artery, the blood just went whoosh, right on through it, you know. And uh, you only got to do one on me. So I went home, and about two weeks later, I started having some problems. I started having heaviness on my chest again, hard, hard breathing, um, didn't feel right. So they said, you're going back to the doctor, boy. So back up to the hospital we went. And I laid in there for about three days. They had monitors on me and all this stuff. And you, you, you know doctors shop while they're in the hospital? Do you know that? Yeah, they go from room to room shopping for new patients. And this cardiologist... A rather good one, come into my room while I was there, and I was laying there in my monitor and everything, bored to death, and uh, introduced himself and told him who I was and looked at my chart and said, what are you in here for? I said, well, blah, 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 you know, told him the whole story, back in here, blah, 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 you know. Well, what'd they do for you? I said, nothing. I've been here for three days, and they've done nothing. He says, I'll be back in a few minutes. So he took off out of the room and he went and found Dr. Hahn, which he was the head of the cardiology uh, department up at Monroe. Excellent. Fantastic. My best friend. And Dr. Hahn come in and he looked at me and says, you having problems? He hadn't seen me since I've been in the hospital. I said, yes, sir, heaviness, blah, blah, blah. He says, uh, looked at his watch and he says, I'm going on vacation in four hours. I'll see you in the operating room in 30 minutes. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, yep. So they didn't dilly-dally either. They come right on in and they got me. And this little bitty blonde, young thing, probably 21, 22 years old, I figure. And she was at the end of the gurney. And she just kept looking at me, you know, and smiling and smiling. Looked like she's going to explode. And all of a sudden she says, Mr. Ford. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she says, I'm the one that paddled you. Now, first off, you need to know the story. <laughs> when they paddle somebody with a heart attack, you get hit like three or four times. That is it. Dr. Hahn told me, he says, you don't know how lucky a man you are. He says, we hit you three or four times. If you do not respond, you are dead. Hmm. I says, okay. So when this little gal spoke up and she says, Mr. Fort, I said, yes, ma'am. She says, I'm the one that paddled you. She says, and I was not going to let you die because you were the first patient I had ever put the paddles to. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they hit me a total of 16 times. Wow. Now, if that ain't a God thing, yeah. I don't know what is. Yeah. And I told her, I says, you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> but they got me straightened out. I got my life straightened back out. And I got back in church. And actually, my painter that painted for me for over 20 years was a Pentecostal preacher. And he begged me for 20 years to come to church. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, all right, all right. 
you know. But anyway, I went up there to, to, to church. My wife wasn't thrilled about it because when I decided to go back to church, I picked the church. You know, and she wanted to do like, well, we'll go to your church and we'll go, because she's Baptist, okay. or was raised Baptist. She kind of resented that, that I kind of, it's the way I am. I'm a superintendent, been a superintendent for over 30 years, been in construction business 40. I'm kind of hard headed. So when I decided to go back to church, I was going back to what I knew. And I knew God in the Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. So I went back there and uh, he'd give the altar call. Because I wasn't really, I was. <laughs> lukewarm yeah. lukewarm don't get lukewarm I'm telling you don't get lukewarm uh, it's not a good place to be that's where it's 50-50 he could just spit you or yeah. keep you in you know you don't know which way you're going that's right so I, he'd give that altar call Sunday after Sunday he'd give that altar call you know and get the old white knuckles out hold on to the back of that <laughs> I ain't going up there you ain't no way you're dragging me up there oh, okay I'm going <laughs> So I went up there one day and I rededicated my life again to the Lord. And that's when I decided to knuckle down and do what I was supposed to. So. What year was that? Oh, let's see. I'm going to be 66 this year. And I was 50. So it's uh, almost 16 years ago. <laughs> so I've been behaving myself <laughs> the best that I can for the past 16 years. In the past 12, no, probably 14 years, I've been trying to minister to men and make a difference. Because I don't, I don't want anybody to go down the road I was in, because it's not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the Lord has just opened up everything for me. He takes care of me no matter what. Um, I learned not to sweat the small stuff. I don't sweat the big stuff either. Because it's going to be what God's will is in my life. Because mm-hmm. He does everything for a seat, you know, for me. Like that little little blonde nurse that never ever put the paddles on some poor sucker except me, you know, and hit me sixteen times, which was off the rule book. You know, there was no way she was supposed to hit me that many times. You know, I could see her now, clear, bam, you know, and me jump up about three inches off the table, you know. But I wouldn't. But God, God has been good to me that way. God has opened so many doors for me. Um, he takes care of my work. He provides work for me. I never, you know, back in 08 when everything crashed, yep. I had to go back on my tools. I was head superintendent of a very large company for 11 years. I won the parade of homes in Marion County four times, top in million plus homes. So I've, I've got the plaques, mm-hmm. you know, not to toot my horn or anything, but that's how God has taken care of me. And I had to go back on my tools again you know i never ever picked up the telephone one time mm-hmm. for a job i remember that the the work come in every week is needed and i was making money i wasn't making a killing i was making a living and god was providing i was working and doing my thing and uh, i'd bring my paycheck home and i give it to my wife she says well this this is great but it's not enough <laughs> you know and she kept saying that and kept saying that, but every month, every bill got paid, even when I didn't make enough money to cover the bills. Now, you can sit there and you go, oh, that's full of, you know. That is a God's honest truth. She says, I don't know how we did it, but we paid the bills this month. You didn't make enough money to cover the bills this month, but there was enough money in the bank to cover the bills. 
And we did that for a couple of years. So God has been good to me. And you still, be, by the way, you still fed us on Thursday nights. That's right. Somehow. I fed you on Thursday nights. I remember. And I remember we tried to pitch in and you wouldn't let us. Yeah, because uh, um, Andre, I miss that rascal so yeah. much. Andre uh, was, uh, we used to call him E.F. Hutton. Andre never said anything. <laughs> you get a grunt out of him every now and then, you know. But if Andre, you hit something other and Andre spoke, everybody's like, oh. Andre's talking. Andre's talking. Hush. <laughs> you know, and Andre would put it on to you, you know, what he thought. And it was always what God's word was, you know. And I knew it was Andre because I'd be be out there studying. And you guys know I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I go spend an hour, an hour and a half with the Lord every morning. Then I go to work. And I was doing that irregardless if I had plenty of work. If I didn't have no work, I still did it. And uh, I still love the Lord. I loved the Lord then. I love the Lord now. Mm-hmm. God has taken care of me. And I'd be in there studying. I'd be having a hard time even studying. And I'd be looking through the Bible and open up a page and there'd be a $100 bill in there. That's like, Andre. It's got to be Andre. You know? But he would never admit it. You know what I mean? But, you know, you look at that, but the thing is, I needed that $100 at that time to pay for something. Mm-hmm. Every time I needed that $100, it was in the books of my Bible. God's That's good amazing. to me, man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's taken yes. care of me all these years, even when I was a knucklehead. So you guys missed the last uh, men's breakfast. I preached on lumpology and being the greatest lumpologist that ever was. Everybody's going, <laughs> lumpology? What in the world is lumpology? I had to explain to him what lumpology was. Lumpology is when you're such a knucklehead, the Lord asked you to let you take a couple of lumps then you get the gist of it. Yeah. Then you become a lumpologist. <laughs> you know? You're a professional. And everybody started laughing. I said, don't you sit there and laugh at me like that. I know some of you. I got a bachelor's. I know some of y'all got a master's degree. In lumpology. In lumpology. And they were rolling. And But I don't plan the sermons. I, actually, I did plan a sermon. I had a whole thing. I worked all week long on it. I had saying from Billy Graham and all this. And I was going in there and I was like, I had this whole lesson ready and uh, God put the shabash to it. And I forget, I told one of you, I think it was Chad, I forget who it was. Anyway, I told you I cleaned my roof off with my leaves and all that stuff and it took me all week long to do it. And I was busy every night after work till dark. And I got all the leaves off my roof because all this rain was coming. I knew it was. And it's so hard if I don't, when they're three inches thick on your roof, you got to get them off of there. So I did that. I was out there and I was dead dog tired. We were on the last pile. You know, Shereen was out there helping me, cheering me on, chasing <laughs> me with a stick. No, no. Uh, and I, I was down to like the last two wheelbarrow loads. And it was Friday afternoon, and I was tired. Done work 40-hour week, you know, and worked every night that week to get all the stuff taken care of because before the rain come. And I'm down to the last couple, and I'm thinking about my sermon I'm going to do on Saturday morning, and I'm rehearsing it in my head. And the Lord says, nope. I'm like, okay. Lumpology. Hmm. I go, what? What in the world is lumpology? Then God started reminding me of what a knucklehead I used to be, how I used to have to take my lumps. And some of them are pretty good lumps, too. Mm-hmm. Now, heart attack ain't nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. That's a big old lump <laughs> that you're going to carry around for a while on top of your head. But God started showing me where he's brought me from and where he's got me to right now. 
and how good he's been to me. And it was all them hard times and all them times that I wouldn't listen to him. That's how you get your lumps. And that's how you could become a lumpologist because it takes a while sometimes for it to sink into you what God is trying to show you and get you to do. Mm-hmm. And God has done that all the way through. He's put up with me. He's taken care of me. He's watched over. He's loved me. And I am nothing special. But I'm like Paul. You know, I'm probably one of the worst of the worst at one mm-hmm. time in my life. But God has taken an old warp board and he's got a little bit of the bend out of it. He's got some more to unfold yet. Mm-hmm. But he's got me straightened out a little bit so that I can try to help other folks. And that's the reason I'm so passionate about the men. Because I don't want to see anybody have to go down and be a lumpologist. If I can tell you ahead of time and show you ahead of time, you don't need to be a lumpologist. You don't have to study lumpology. Let me get you out of there. Let me teach you. Let me show you how good God is to you. Because God is good. He says, if you will just surrender and do what he says he promises to take care of you and he has with me even with me being a lumpologist he's taken care of me and i've devoted all of my life to him right now if he asks i'll do it if he shows i'll do it All right, y'all, we just want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. The Whatsoever Things podcast is just a group of folks sitting around talking about their faith, and it does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the leadership of Oxford Assembly of God. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can subscribe in whatever your favorite podcast application is. And if you'd like to find out more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.oxfordag.org. That's O-X-F-O-R-D-A-G dot org. We'll see you next time.